If you're studying for the CISSP, CCSP, or CISM certification, you'll probably get a lot of benefit from the WANA Practice app at wanapractice.com. Hundreds of practice questions unavailable anywhere else, all in a simple interactive format, which you can access through any device with a browser. Check out the show notes for a discount code for half off the regular price. Wanna practice? Success and certification is in your hands. Welcome to another episode of the sensuous sounds of infosec where we discuss all things information all things security and all things information security i'm ben maliso and i'm matt snotty and i'm rafael fiedler and yet we have more events why why does currency keep going on why do events keep occurring it sounds like i'm running a seam system or something like that why do events keep occurring <laughs> right Speaking, of, should, should we set up a, an alert system with a dashboard that that flashes red every time a new event uh, occurs? That, it might be worthwhile. That, I that think that it would never turn. It would never not be red. It though. would just be a steady red light all the time. It would never change. Um, yeah. So so let's jump into it. Um, There's a couple, and, and now a few of these are a little bit older. We just didn't have the time to fit them into last week's recording. Um, the big one, and when I mean big, I mean in size and in import, is the AIEO, or as I'm going to refer to it in perpetuity, the EIEIO. Um, for those of you not in the know, the White House issued an executive order on October 30th. Um, I think they they rushed to do it because if it came out on Halloween, everybody would think it was just a trick for a treat. Um, <laughs> it, it's got a title as bad as one of my books. It's called The Executive Order on the Safe, Secure, and Trustworthy Development and Use of Artificial Intelligence. Now, a um, few things here. First of all, there has been a recent push in the past couple of years for nation states to try to wrap their heads around what AI is going to bring. Famously, the UK rushed uh, to be first to the table to come out with their guidance. Then I think the EU had something similar come out. Uh, the US was late to the party, as we often are in making regulation, uh, but especially because there's a lot of things we don't regulate that, that other more tyrannical countries do. Um, this particular guidance it's it's i'm seeing the web-based version so it's it's all in html i can't tell how many pages long it is but it's really fucking long it's huge um and robert l peters did not spare any ink on telling people what he thinks we should do with ai or not do with ai um have you all seen this and and what are your impressions of this no, I haven't seen it, but it does not surprise me at all. With all the lawyers that we like to sick on uh, anything new out there, <laughs> it's like they get paid by the word. So I'm not surprised that it's uh, uh, super long. Rafti, have you seen it or heard about it? I, I heard about it. Yeah, yeah. No. Um, and it's also very funny that this week, but maybe we talk about this later as well. Uh, OpenAI had an announcement as well. Oh, really? What was their, what was their announcement? 
Oh, they they launched a couple of. I think it was their first actual conference, which they had and gave and gave updates to developers, people who are into ChatGPT. So OpenAI has a couple of products, but ChatGPT, the actual OG ChatGPT, that's OpenAI. Um, so they uh, introduced GPTs, um, something. But uh, do you want to get into this right now? Well. No, I just thought it would be relevant to the EIEIO. Okay. It's not. And um, we can talk about this later on. But they Okay. Yeah. Okay. Let's get All right. <laughs> I just wanted to so, say that's funny that it's the week after. <laughs> okay. So there's a few things about this that I absolutely abhor. One is that yeah. it's huge. Um yeah. when you when you create guidance that's really big and cumbersome and difficult. And I'm looking down at like subparagraph, I don't know whatever. Um it it, it it gets so granular to the point where, you know, records that foreign resellers of United States IAAS products must securely maintain regarding a foreign person that obtains an account, including information. It just goes on and on like that. It doesn't mm -hmm. just say, hey, don't be stupid. Hey, we're going to be watching. Hey, um, try not to make Skynet if you can, please, you know. It what happened to Asimov's Three Laws of Robotics? That yes. was so short and simple. I mean, you summarized everything that a robot needed to do, an AI needed to do, in three sentences. And yeah. with good logic, succinctly, and, and that anyone could understand. And importantly, like, if you want somebody to follow guidance, it needs to be simple. Well, that's what you would think. Why, if you were a politician or a regulator or a bureaucrat, why would you make overly complicated guidance? Can you so that people are scared and keep away of it because they don't understand it and they're scared of getting sued. So and, this is the reason why I make it long and complicated. So nobody and who's reads the only it. entity that will be able to follow overly complicated guidance? <laughs> the super large mega corporations, you know, the, the international uh, conglomerates, they're going to be able to adhere to this because they have a team of lawyers specifically built to just follow government guidance. Mm -hmm. What it's going to do, it's going to stifle the innovation and the creativity of the smaller and mid-sized entrants into the field, as it always does. Uh, Over-regulating something always means that you're going to clip nascent development in all novel applications. Now, is that necessarily bad with something like AI? I don't know. Um, you know, maybe if we're viewing AI as a potential weapon of mass destruction, then maybe we don't want people building them in their garages. Perhaps that could be a thing. On the other hand, Cyberdyne didn't seem that small and they still built Skynet. You know, they, they probably <laughs> followed all of the government regulation, right? Uh, we talked about the IRS um, contractor who disclosed some tax returns from very wealthy American citizens uh, on a previous episode. That contractor worked for Booz Allen Hamilton, one of the largest federal contractors that exist today. And Booz Allen Hamilton just won an IRS contract to upgrade their systems for the next five years. So even though one of their employees had done something so egregious, the contract keeps going on. Um, I, I don't think big means better. I don't think big means safer. And we're going on the assumption that AI is a weapon of mass destruction. But as we talked about last week or the week before, what does AI mean? Right. It's, yeah, it's such a generic term now. 
It's it, it, it's it's a wor- it's worthless as a term because it's everything from heuristics to machine learning. And so my toaster. Thing. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, that's the reason why we start clarifying, and it's generative AI, and then it's like, um, I don't know. That's the that's the new thing, or it's just machine learning, which is maybe a little bit less generative, and it's just like figuring out stuff for you or showing patterns. And yeah, no, how we call many, everything it. How many algorithms you got um, in the Portmaster tool, Rafti? I can't even tell. It's so many for so many it's different so many. things. Now, and they do each, so many things. Like and they encryption and so decryption. many functions, right? Yeah. No, of course. <laughs> Could that be considered a generative AI? No, I would not say so. I mean, it depends, but not in today. I I feel like we all agree that would if it's you trust not creating... a bureaucrat who works for the Department of Transportation to determine that your algorithms are not generative AIs? <laughs> See, this goes back to when we talked about the fingerprint thing, where I'm like, I'm so like people can can interpret into things, which is also why I don't like if it's long and if it's complicated, like guidance too long, too complicated, leaves room for so many things. And we actually hired a consultant, a legal consultant to look into like how we classify our network so that it is actually classified that we are classified as an ISP because we don't want to be responsible for people, for people's traffic over our network, you know? But the guidance on what classifies something in ISP, we paid somebody for this. I have no clue. And I don't (laughs) want to be held responsible for it. (laughs) And and it's amazing that you have to do this because of the way the regulatory framework has been constructed, right? And and, and basically, you're paying this person. I mean, if it had been 600 years ago, you'd be paying a witch doctor to come over and bless (laughs) your cart and horse, right? I mean, it's basically the same thing. You know, the the lawyers giving you a clean bell of health over something you have no idea is true or not, nor could you ever understand because you're not an attorney, right? Yeah. Um, so, So this is one of the many, many reasons I find this horrible. The other thing is it's all built around the precautionary principle, which is the quasi Luddite idea that we should never adopt a new technology until we can prove that the technology won't go wild and and Frankenstein us all. Um, (laughs) (laughs) We recently, among the three of us, had had a a chat about trying to prove a negative. Um, Do you want do you want to share the anecdote or do you want to keep that sub rosa? Uh, it's, there, there was a situation where I was asked by a person uh, to prove whether um, uh, some manipulation of a computer, and this was in the course of my forensics career, uh, some manipulation to a computer had, had occurred. And I said, no, I can't prove that. And then they said, can you prove that it didn't occur? And I said, no, I can't prove a, a negative. <laughs> and um, the line of questioning subsequently uh, changed after that. <laughs> Yeah, um, it, it, it's one of those logical fallacies that uh, impediments to technology often take. Show me that fire can only be used to cook my food, warm my home, and keep away dangerous animals, but that it won't burn my children. I can't do that. There, you can't. I can't promise you that, Mr. Prometheus. That's just not a thing, you know? Um so at the end of the day, when we're doing this, and, and again, it's based on an assumption that AI can be dangerous. Well, anything can be dangerous. 
I think we're taking giant steps towards cutting off avenues of pursuit of information and capability. And then the other entity besides the large multinationals who will be affected by this guidance will be the rogue agents. The ones who aren't going to follow any rules anyway, the ones who are going to be most likely to weaponize any kind of tool, whether it's AI or whether it's anthrax or whatever the hell it is. Um, fire. Fire, you know. <laughs> to this day, arsony is a thing. <laughs> There's arsonists. Yeah. There's a, both, <laughs> both intentional and otherwise, you know, and um, they're not going to follow an executive order. Yep. Yeah, it makes me think of the uh, the nuclear bomb testing, the uh, uh, the Manhattan Project. You know, they actually um, believe that it may set the entire atmosphere yeah. ablaze, right? If the, the, the they calculated that if it was a greater than three in one million chance that it would ignite the atmosphere of the Earth and end all life as we know it, then they wouldn't do it. <laughs> Which is so inherently flawed <laughs> in so many ways, but nonetheless, yeah, they did not follow the precautionary principle. <laughs> <laughs> well, there was a war on, Matt. <laughs> yeah. Be beating the Japanese was more important than <laughs> the possible side effects of, I don't know, ending all life on Earth. <laughs> Would you want to live on a planet that was run by the Japanese? Come on, Matt. Where where's your patriotism? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> And, um, and the, but 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 then we got uh, ushered into the nuclear age as a result of that, and 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 all of the other um, uh, uh, trappings that have gone along with that. You know, not least of which being the freaking Cold War <laughs> that went on for years and years. So yeah, and we still expend so much effort trying to restrict other nation states from acquiring these weapons, when in fact we're the only country in history to have ever lobbed any in anger, and we did it twice. So, yeah. you know, in terms of moral high ground, we, we got some uh, we got some splaining to do. Um, and then finally, the other massive problem I have with this is the form that it took. Uh, Rafti, I'm going to give you a pass on this. But Matt, you are a citizen. You're not an attorney and I'm, I'm not going to, you know, expect an attorney's answer. But do you know what an executive order is and what it's for? Yeah, it's a decree issued by an executive authority. Usually, the usually it's in the context of the president of the United States that bypasses the legislative authority and instead creates a law or or, or something that has to be followed. No, okay. It's not I mean, law. I mean, I mean, it, it doesn't create a law, but but okay. you're you're in the ballpark, uh, Rafi. You are nodding. It's like you know, you look this up. Yeah, yeah, I know, but just like because I listen to like. A lot of media from from the states. I have a vague idea, but as far as I understand, like I only heard of it from the president. But okay. as far as I understand, yes. that the difference is that it's like uh, like the next president or even the president himself, like if it's still in office, can revoke it. So an executive order is a lot more flexible, and it's I think can be like put in place and then retracted, nilly villy and amended and stuff like that which makes Absolutely. it very different to a law because a law has like a process it goes through and cannot be revoked as easily and cannot be changed as easily it, it's royal fiat is what it is it's it's kingly power yeah. um but here's the thing about an executive order it's only binding on the executive branch of the federal government states are not required to follow executive orders um uh citizens? local governments citizens aren't i don't have to follow an executive order interesting 
what the executive order does is it gives either guidance or clarity or instruction to the administrative branch of the government, the executive branch, all the things that fall under the, the White House's purview, and tells them this is what we're going to do, and this is how you should do it. Uh, so, for instance, famously, um, there was an executive order that formed the Air Force and said, hey, military, you're going to carve out the planes and flying thingies, and you're going to make it its own separate thing away from the U.S. Army. And the, does the Army have to listen to the president? Yes, because the president is the commander-in-chief of the armed forces of the United States. Um, now, the weird part is, and this is, I think, where, where Matt was hinting at, there are a lot of executive branch agencies that are regulatory in nature, the FDA, mm -hmm. the DEA, the ATF, and those entities have been granted rulemaking capability by Congress. Congress basically outsourced their ability to make laws to these administrative bodies and said, hey, um, DEA, you get to make the schedule of drugs that are going to be prohibited, and you get to make the criteria for which drugs are in that schedule. So the executive order by itself is not a law that Matt and I have to follow as citizens, but if the executive order gets down to one of those administrative bodies that issues a new regulation, that may be binding on us. So it's kind of a, a trickle-down effect. Um, now, you did say, and rightly so, that this can immediately be revoked by a, a subsequent president, theoretically. We have seen in recent administrations where at least one president tried to revoke prior executive order and was rebuffed by the bureaucrats who were following that executive order and uh, actually took the president to court, took the White House to court to say, do we have to follow this or does the president have to go through some formal revocation process in order to change that, which is really creepy. That's uh, as much as I hate executive orders because they are monarchic in nature. Um, it's even more scary that an entrenched group of mandarins who are lifelong servicers of the bureaucracy can tell the executive, the person that we elected to that position, to go pound salt, that they're going to do their own thing, whether he likes it or not. Um, so that's troublesome. The fact that he that our current president put this into an executive order instead of proposing it to Congress as a law seems lazy and sloppy and a little bit scary because if it's really important, if it's a weapon of mass destruction in the making, then Congress should be involved. It's not something that the executive should do unilaterally. So I just don't like this yeah. vehicle altogether. Right. Right. Yeah. Because there, th there have been, some would say legitimate, some might argue, but uh, most recently like COVID. Um, executive orders came down as a result of a global pandemic to try to basically uh, keep people safe, keep people um, in, in in some sort of a condition to to not get get sick and stuff like that. Those are that that that's one certain subset. But yeah, you're talking about this is essentially legislating by the president, and that's not his job. It's the job of the legislature to, and, and not to turn this into a, a civics lesson on American politics. But, but I think it's important. But, I think yeah. I think what you're saying is really we should not vest that authority in one person. The yeah, the, the yeah. founders created the system we have to avoid that very thing because kings are fucking spooky. Yeah.
Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, and, and I'm not sure that, I mean, maybe the argument could be made that AI is such a rapidly evolving technology that something needs to occur quicker than the legislature would normally be able to do. Because if you once you get Congress involved, it could take years before something comes out. Maybe it's better to get something out now and then, you know, backpedal it if you need to through the legislature. But, yeah, I don't know that this is the, necessarily the right way to do it, especially, again, going back to, are, is, do we even have true AI yet? No. <laughs> <laughs> we have a bunch of websites that you can spit out an essay for your eighth grade uh, you know, science <laughs> class. <laughs> and, and and I think that's the thing is, if this is truly important, all the more reason to slow the fuck down. Yeah. as. As we've said over and over again about um, disasters or about security incidents, you know nothing in the first 72 hours because everything you think you learn is going to be proven wrong in the next two weeks. So when you do a knee-jerk reaction to that immediate impetus, you're invariably going to screw things up. Um, don't issue a statement saying you've got it under control or that you know what happened. Don't issue an executive order when this nascent technology is just starting to flourish. Um, think it out, plan it out, and respond accordingly. If invaders um, swarm our shores with flamethrowers using that fire that we just talked about, then you can have an executive order. That's a perfect time to do that. Sure. You know, yeah. Marshal the forces <laughs> and go repel the, the invaders. That's fine. Um, but anything other than that is not true imminent threat. That's just not a thing, especially technology. Right. Um, and I feel like uh, to bring this maybe into the infosec realm a little bit as well, I feel like uh, if you as the CISO also, of course, need to be like sure about your boundaries, where you, what decisions you have to make. And we talked about this in a couple of the last ones as well, like what information do you have to relay up to maybe the executive of the company and which ones, which decisions do you make yourself? What is your responsibility as part of the C-level? And um, stick with them and don't, don't and defend them as well. Uh, I feel like I'm working with friends. I like them. Um, but sometimes I'm like, this is my job. And if you are too, if you're thinking about my job too much, you're wasting resources for one and for another, you're making bad calls. You, you're not like in the mindset. You don't see everything that I see and you don't understand everything. Um, and so your decisions will be skewed always. Now, um, I will say that the CISO, though, is an executive authority. They are a senior manager and they have yeah. legal liability, as we yes. just realized with, you know, recent <laughs> charges being filed. So the yeah. CISO does have to take authority at some point. And, and no, no, absolutely. Yeah, but yeah. what I've said is, like, defend your authority that you have, but relay away the stuff that you don't have and and make those cuts clear and so like oh if i was a CISO, the board would be getting sick of me because i would be sending them daily emails just so they could never claim that i was doing something they didn't know about you know oh, they could okay. never throw me under the bus okay so saying? you're let you're sending a multi-page thing instead of giving short and clear instructions how oh, what no, no. Uh, what does no, that no. sound I'm like saying, i'm gonna keep the board <laughs> appraised of what's going on I'm going to say, this is what I did today. Yeah, I'm going to give them my diary. That's what I'm going to do. Oh, gosh. Um, okay, please don't do that. I think, like, uh, yeah, but I, I've, I'm guessing you're making a joke. <laughs> yeah, you don't have to worry about Ben actually doing real work. Yeah, I'm not going to be, no one's going to make me a CISO. <laughs> um, all right. Uh, other news. Um, this is, this is kind of, 
uh, interesting to me and a little bit disturbing. In the past week, and again, these are recorded and, and broadcast later, but in the past week, there have been a shuttering of online services to include Zero Punctuation, yeah. Jezebel, and Omegle. Yeah, um, I don't know. Just Zero okay. Punctuation. <laughs> Tell me about Zero Punctuation, Rafti. <laughs> I've been watching Yahtzee for years now. I even read some of his books, you know. Um, Me too. <laughs> oh, oh, is this the guy that does, he does like video videos or something like that? He's been around for a long time. Ben Crow, Crawshaw or something? Yahtzee, yeah. Ben uh, Ben Yahtzee Crawshaw. Yeah, uh, exactly. Yeah, yeah. Okay, yeah. I know exactly and he's fantastic. If yes. you are even a little bit of a gamer, his videos will hit you right in the funny bone. He yeah. is amazing. Uh, and I think he's been doing it for like 17 years. It's, yeah, yeah something it's a like long that. Time. Yeah. yeah. And it has like rumors that he would leave the escapist have been floating around for years now. But apparently uh, escapist got bought. See, yeah, the escapist got bought, I think, last year. And okay. and what happened was they fired the head editor, a fellow named Nick. I forget <laughs> his last name. Uh, they told Nick that um, he was failing to meet his business goals or objectives, whatever those were. The articles I've read have not made that clear as to what those were. Upon Nick getting fired, pretty much all of the escapist staff left with Nick. Um, they all quit, which is a pretty badass move. I mean, especially in this economy <laughs> and, and people having a tough time making ends meet, um, that shows... To, to me, a lot of loyalty to the editor, to this Nick yep. person, um, and uh, uh, something special that they thought they had as a team. Um, they immediately went and announced that they're building their own media uh, empire called Second Wind. Um, I've subscribed to their YouTube channel. They don't even have any content yet, but um, uh, I went and joined. Uh, it was at 50,000 subscribers when I signed up, and that's before they've even made a video. So... Um, there's a lot of loyalty in the fan base as well. Uh, so that was an interesting development, and I really hope uh, Yahtzee continues making new videos. He has He's mentioned he does not own the, the intellectual property of his old videos, does not own the brand name of Zero Punctuation, um, but hopefully his style will go with him. Uh, I'm sure it will. Uh, similarly, Jezebel, uh, now, Rafti, you hadn't heard of this. Have you heard of Jezebel before, Matt? Yeah, isn't that a part of like the family of like Gawker and yeah. uh, uh, the Verge and all these other websites that you know, yeah, they 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 kind of uh, con they're they're big conglomerate of pseudo newsy type places. It, it, yeah, it, it, it's usually good reporting though. It, some of it was, some of it was pretty atrocious, and and that was kind of the fun of it. Um, uh, they often cross the line between advertorial, they cross lines between editorial and journalism. Um, but, but it was new media and it was rich and it was, um, uh, controversial and it was fascinating. And, and like you said, you know, it was all in the Gawker family. I think they got purchased by Vice, um, oh, yeah, okay. which is now their parent company. Um, and Jezebel in particular was the feminist leaning, you know, um, riot girl, girl power kind of voice among that cluster of new media. Um, the, their story, from what I understand, and this is why I'm starting to find this a little bit disturbing, as much as I may not have liked Jezebel's editorial voice, 
um, they stood out for controversy. They took stands that they felt were important to them. And they had a tagline on their homepage that said something like, uh, we cover a variety of important topics such as sex and politics. And um, from what I've understood, the reason that Vice is shuttering Jezebel is that Jezebel isn't making its its um, business targets again, its goals, and that uh, business executives were asking Jezebel to make certain choices, such as removing their tagline from their homepage, mm. because advertisers did not want their ads being displayed next to such divisive subjects and topics, uh, particularly abortion, which is a big heated topic in American politics right now and needs to be discussed. Mm -hmm. um, I, I, I understand the balance between business and editorial. I get that. I worked in newspapers for decades, but when you ask to make a compromise on the core foundational aspect of what your publication is, then what you're doing is just homogenizing everything. And we're going back to a very vanilla internet. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, I don't like that trend. Yeah, and if you if maybe this is just me being a, a complete moron with regards to advertising and media and stuff like that, but if you lose an advertiser because of of a stance that you take or a mandate that you've given yourself, go out and find a different advertiser that that supports it. <laughs> you know, okay, if you lost, you know, Coca-Cola, go after Pepsi. <laughs> you know, surely somebody else out there wants to advertise with you just because this one person doesn't. And if you're new media, find new advertisers. I mean, you know, there, there's got to be somebody who's willing to skate on the thin edge of controversy in order for their advertisements to hit that market segment in a way that the staid, boring, developed markets aren't going to offer. You know, I remember when Red Bull was just starting out, they sponsored every crazy fucking thing that existed simply because they wanted their name out there. Yeah. Right. And they still do that. They still have the Flugtag and they have the uh, uh, they, they had the. Uh... The, the sports yeah. that were invented when mom wasn't home. That's, yeah. that's what they like to sponsor. Right? Yeah. I mean, they, they had the air races uh, out in Reno um, that they that, that they just stopped that finally. They they finally realized they were killing too many of these pilots and blowing up too many of these airplanes. But, but yeah, they did the air races for a long time. Yeah. Anything that was weird and fun. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Austrian company. Austrian really? company. And the owner died, I think, two or three years ago. Um, in a plane? No, I mean, okay. I can't recall, but yeah, Austrian company. And Red Bull. Drinking too much Red Bull, yeah. <laughs> Gave him an aneurysm and his heart exploded at the yeah, same okay. time. Caffeine and taurine, yeah. Um, now, Omegle is also another one that's that's really funny. Now, Rafty, you had not heard of Omegle. Matt, do you know? I know this just, I, I just read about this yesterday because it came okay. up on my feed. Uh, and I, I didn't have any idea what it was, and I started reading into what it actually was because I, I, I'm, I'm an old 40-something-year-old guy. I'm not getting on these. But apparently it was like a chat site or something like that. It was AOL chat room. Okay. Yeah. That's that's literally what it was. Okay. And, and, and the funny thing was the kid who made it, and I call him a kid. He was 18 when he originally created it back, I think, in 2008, I want to say. Um, he... Uh, he didn't know AOL chat rooms because he made it in 2008 when he was 18. He just wanted, he was from a small town. He had nerdy uh, interests. 
Um, he had suffered some personal childhood trauma, and he was not uh, very good at meeting people in real life. He was very self-selected, sheltered, and he loved the Internet. He loved talking with people of all sorts from all over the world about technology, where he could both learn something from them, and he could also even contribute to the conversation, even among older people who ostensibly knew more about tech than he did. So he built this thing specifically so strangers could meet other strangers at arm's length through a screen and never be harmed. And, and I'm paraphrasing a lot of what he's saying, but he posted this goodbye message on Omegle.com. It's touching. It's powerful. I recommend everybody read it. We'll link to it. And he says all this, and he says, this was my intent. He said, I wanted to make this egalitarian so that everybody could uh, communicate safely through the security of the distance of the computer screen. And the chat took off. He had no idea how quickly it was going to be adopted widely. Um, and then he started adding more functionality uh, where it became um, video components were added to it. And especially during the pandemic, it really took on heavy usage because everybody was sheltering in place anyway. And this was a perfect opportunity to do this. Now, over the years, there was controversy associated with Meagle because like with any other tool, including fire, the minute you make a communications medium, human beings are going to sexualize it. And <laughs> this is another echo of the AOL chat rooms. This is not, you know, yep. an unanticipated outcome for anyone who's over 18 and wasn't raised in a small town. Um, and, you know, especially the video chat function became quite like Chatterbait um, or Chat Roulette. Uh, you know, only fans where, you know, strangers can meet to show each other their naughty bit. Yeah. And, <laughs> and, and, and that's specifically the part that I was reading about yesterday was everybody just talking about how it had devolved into such, yeah, basically what you were, you were describing that you could, I guess you could flip through channels and most of them were of, of the genitals of people <laughs> that were just wanting to show them off. <laughs> and, you know, I, I never really used Omegle. I, I tried the chat function a couple of times and pretty much 90% of what I saw was spammers. Um, so I never really, it wasn't like AOL where AOL, you, you were pretty much assured to talk to some other people at some point. Mm -hmm. And each of the rooms had titles and was more like a party chat. Omegle yeah. was designed for one-on-one -on -one interaction. So, um, oh, it was I didn't a little bit it, it, so it wasn't like group chat. It was correct. It was correct. Okay. I didn't know that. It, and what you do is when you signed in, you'd get a randomized interaction with one other person. Now, okay. I, I, the way I understand it, I was using it wrong, that you can also add keywords to your search so that when you met somebody else, you would connect based on the keywords or something. Maybe it was AI. Maybe it was an algorithm. Uh, <laughs> maybe it's Maybelline. I don't know. Um, but uh, there were some controversies about how some trolls were spreading white power messages with it. Um, but again, trolling is always going to happen. It's the internet. Uh, that's going to be a certain percentage. But then there were some really tragic cases where some young people were being victimized sexually. Mm -hmm. And um, the founder of this uh, mentions this on the goodbye message. And, and that particularly upset him because that was exactly what he was creating the tool to avoid. Um, mm -hmm. Uh, and and it added some very strange 
legal aspects too. For a while, Omegle hosted a warning on its front page saying, this tool has been used by predators. Use it with caution and be aware of what you're doing. Wow. Well, some, some young person got victimized after the warning was posted. This gave liability to Omegle and they mm -hmm. lost a $21 million lawsuit. Mm. If the warning had not been there, Omegle could have claimed that they had no knowledge or no yeah. responsibility. We just put and, the tool and, out there, how they use it is, is on them. And you run into this catch-22 where while they were trying to be good citizens of the community, they instead shot themselves in the foot legally. Mm -hmm. um, so he folded up the, the company, he apologized to everyone, said farewell, and, and said, you know, this is what I tried to do. I'm sorry if it went wrong for some people. I hope it went right for some people. Uh, because evidently there were a lot of positive outcomes too. Um, there were more than one marriage that resulted from people meeting on Omegle. Um, yeah, it's just, uh, it's interesting that our internet culture is seeming to be killing off some of the unique facets and some of the more interesting elements, whether you like them or not. You know, I didn't like Jezebel, but I sure don't want to see it fold, you know? Mm -hmm. um, a thought experiment a friend of mine posted, like asked me a couple of weeks ago was, um, how would a message board look like or like where we're like, nothing is forbidden, nothing at all. And my first thing was every third posting would be porn because if you recall from our like when we talked with MindGeek, they said about the third of the internet traffic is like to porn related websites and i'm like it's and and in in regards to that i would say uh, this is hidden you don't see how many people are consuming porn each day but if it's if it's a third you know of the traffic I would just by accident, if the open web, because we already had, this was the second thing I said, like the open web is this, you can host whatever you want. And if a third of the open web is porn, then a message board by nature would have the same ratio. The um, message board, no, the message board would have a higher ratio, be nine out of 10, because the spammers would send Autobots to just pop okay. the board. Uh, mm -hmm. and, and that's the unfortunate truth. And, and you know, it, it, it wouldn't even be actual good porn content. What it would be is a <laughs> it would be a bunch of, you know, come ons and links and ads for oh, porn. Okay, I see ads. Yeah, that, yeah, if you allow everything, you would see a lot of ads, of course, as well. Yeah, no. Interesting. How much of the internet is ads? <laughs> How much yeah. is spam mails, you know? <laughs> How much of the mails exactly. get filters automatically? Yeah, you're absolutely right. But it's it's just like from that perspective, I feel like um, the wild web is actually wild and you need to sort of like, if you want a safe space for what you're doing, opening it up to everything just is not a good idea at this point. And I understand where you're saying, like, the culture, but it's so hard to define what, like, what is internet culture at this point? I feel like it spread so much. And, and it's, it's good. That just means that it reaches a lot of corners of the earth, the physical earth. Um, but it's like, and we, of course, at Safing fight a lot to make, like, putting up boundaries hard because we feel like if it's allowed in some place of the earth, it should be okay for you as well. There is stuff that's off limits, but then it will be forbidden basically everywhere. 
and then those local enforcements can go after them. Um, and this is this is the same thing that Musk ran into when he took over Twitter is yeah. he wanted to make complete free speech. And then you start to see that it's like going into the forest. People like going into the forest when it's a park. <laughs> going into the forest when it's just the forest, when it's not curated, is really dangerous and it's not conducive to fun. There are not nice pathways. There are rocks everywhere. There are bugs everywhere. It's really not conducive to human enjoyment. It's not made to do that. And so he had to start putting up his own rules around this giant, you know, multi-billion user platform to start to curate and figure out what voice you want to have, what editorial position you want to have. Matt and I met through uh, an online forum. Um, it was a message board. And we would run into these issues all the time. I am as free expression as anybody. And I had to start stomping down on spam bots. I had to, I had to do daily curation. You have to uh, make sure the forest doesn't have wild beasts in it. It just that's just the nature of how it goes. Um, and and it's been a while since I looked at the traffic numbers, but I think in two thousand five, the number one discussed topic on the internet was God. The number two was sex. I'm going to guess that number two has eclipsed one significantly <laughs> as, as more people have, have entered the fray. Um, but uh, these, are, these are core fundamental human drives. They are not anything that's new in human history, and they're not going away anytime soon either. Um, so trying to carve out some sensible, logical, objective discourse somewhere to have nice little conversations, that's going to be tough to do. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, and, and Rafi, you're a little younger than us, but um, you, you were talking about having a pure message board. Have you have you not ever been on IRC? Do you know what IRC is? I know what I've heard of it, but no. Okay. I'm was... younger than that guy who invented this. <laughs> oh, Omega God, are you serious? <laughs> <laughs> I'm serious. And I needed to look up like 2000, ah. 2009. Actually, the iPhone was out by then and YouTube was already owned by Google. Yeah. Because this is always interesting to put into context. Um, so 2009 would be the iPhone 3GS. Yep. Well, IRC still exists, as I understand. I haven't been on it in a very long time. But it, from from the early 90s, that was as pure of a message board as you could get. And, and I used to get on that and uh, made some good friends with it. Um, of course, it's completely text-based. There's no graphics, no pictures, no, nothing like that. But uh uh, if you want a pure message board, go back to IRC. We've had it for going on 40 years now. <laughs> no, I've been like ICQ, MSN, Skype. Mm -hmm. yep. Those were the things like the, the chats already, not not message boards. No. <laughs> Damn you, Rafti. Damn you for making us feel old. <laughs> I'm so sorry. <laughs> All right. One more cultural aspect of the information landscape and um, I'm going to say it only tangentially has to do with security in terms of health and human safety. Um, we've been talking about some of these cultural icons in the information space. Are you all familiar with Mr. Beast? Unfortunately. Younger than me. <laughs> but yes. <laughs> Damn it. Don't tell me <laughs> stuff like that. Lie to me. I only became aware of him like a year ago. And uh -huh. that was it was only because Robin loves to watch a lot of different YouTubers and and uh, streamers and um, 
the gamers who do the live streams of them playing and stuff. Mm -hmm. and, and she became aware of Mr. Beast. Evidently, Mr. Beast is the largest thing on YouTube. Yeah. At the moment. Yeah. And has and hundreds of millions of dollars. Yes. Um, I, I was only aware, this was an entire cultural aspect that I was unaware of until about a year ago. Because we're old, Matt. I know. I know. Yeah. The only reason I found out about him was through my kids. And even then, after I saw him, I, I was like, they had to explain to me who he was. Cause I was like, he, he would never have organically come across my, my computer ever. Never, never <laughs> it just wouldn't, it wouldn't have risen to your level of, of discourse. Right. It yeah, just wouldn't yeah, have entered exactly. into your, and, and the amazing thing is, is not only does he have millions of views and hundreds of millions of dollars to me, to me, and you, <laughs> You correct me if I'm wrong here, Matt. He seems like Tom Green or Jackass, but yeah. with oh. higher production value. I, I'm not even sure that he has higher. I, I guess he he has higher production value. But yeah, this is the yeah this is the 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 trope that's been around for for decades, if not centuries, of you know the goofball entertainer who kind of goes out and does man on the street type stuff and and sees what kind of reactions he can get on on things. Now, some of the projects he's done. I find utterly amazing. He built a live action squid game. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, and again, and this is why I talk about production value. He did it amazingly well with actual laser indicator mm. of who was getting shot and squibs on people's chest. I mean, it was <laughs> this was talk this is something that tom green only fantasized about in his Very true. wildest yes. imagination okay yeah 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 the production values on a mr beast video probably are 10 times what tom green spent on freddie got fingered oh absolutely more than i'm gonna make in my lifetime he can yeah. spend on producing one video uh -huh. right yeah um and apparently i don't know if you know this he he takes the money from his previous video and he and he funds his next video with that so he he pockets a little bit off the top of his kind of the vig that's what he pays himself but the rest of the millions of dollars that it makes that goes into making the next video and that and he has just pyramid schemed himself into becoming the, this huge which which is really cool and a neat way to avoid taxes because those become operational expenses <laughs> right? right that 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 way you don't lose half the money to the government Right. <laughs> right. He's got some good tax lawyers. That's for sure. Well, and, and it's just it's a way to keep the, the spectacles big without yep. losing all that revenue. Right. Yeah. Um, so a couple of the, the stunts that he has done have been altruistic or at least seemingly altruistic. Um, he famously cured um, uh, the Blind vision. Yeah. yeah uh, of twelve hundred people. Was really? it glaucoma? Or was it? I don't know. He also did like last week or the week before. This is was the one I'm 100... getting to. Yeah. Okay. Sorry. Yeah. Go, go ahead. Go ahead. Go ahead. Say it, Rafti. Um, it was like he created a couple. I I didn't saw the video. Only saw the thumbnail because YouTube tries to push it on me. A um, hundred wells or something like that in Africa, throughout Kenya, um, okay. giving clean water to five hundred thousand people. Super cool. That's great. Now. I think it's cool. You think it's cool, Rafti? Yeah. Think, no, clean water. I think it's fucking great. Matt, what do you think about it? <laughs> if, 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 if this is real, yeah, I'm all for it. Yeah. <laughs> the, the question is, is it real? Oh, yeah. Oh, it is. It is. It is. Okay. It is. Two things occurred when this happened. One, a lot of people got mad at him. It's the and internet. It's the internet. <laughs> they got to be mad at something. 
Always. The, and the reasons <laughs> for getting mad at him differed, but but there were two like main camps. One was, um, you're monetizing benevolence. Mm. Yeah. Well, okay, but like you said, if this is going to fund his next project, and he feeds everybody on the planet, good monetize that shit good good for he seems as good a steward as any other centralized authority because 500,000 people didn't have clean water before he showed up i really don't care if he makes a bunch of money off the video and i'm glad he does to be honest with you um mm -hmm. if you can make that into spectacle if you can make that entertaining cool the second camp didn't like it because he was undermining the authority of the Kenyan government and making them look <laughs> foolish for not having built the wells themselves. Don't care. Don't, so don't care. So don't care. But, but Rafti, how are the Kenyan authorities supposed to claim a moral superiority and a mandate from the people if they can't have uh, their power not mocked by some outlier from some YouTube venue? Would not uh, care if he would like we have a lot of fresh water in Austria, but if he would, I don't know, change all like get rid of all of our like we have a couple um fossil um power plants still. And if he would change them all to, I don't know, solar power and make Austria one hundred percent renewable energy, would not care either. And if it would undermine my government. If it made the Australian <laughs> government look silly, yeah. Don't care. Okay. They're silly anyway. I don't know. Like most governments are, I think, at this point. I don't know. <laughs> the I, and I, I'm kind of with you, Rafti. I, to me, those are two positives. I mean, <laughs> the, the whole point of having free expression is so that you can intimidate and humiliate your government when they step out of bounds. That was yeah. the purpose yeah. of the First Amendment in the U.S. Um, you're, you're supposed to hold them to account when they yeah. fuck up. And not getting clean water, your people, is fucking up. Now, what I don't understand, there was one other segment of pushback that I saw. What I don't understand is why digging a well is so difficult in the first place. You dig a hole till you find water. This is this is <laughs> this is something that's been done in humanity for millennia. I don't know why it wasn't being done in those Kenyan locations. Um, but that's small potatoes. I still laud the the man for making this project and doing this thing. Um, Matt, you've been strangely silent at this point. Are you are you are you uh, uh, regretting the fact that the Kenyan authorities no longer have their moral superiority? <laughs> no, that doesn't bother me. But but uh, the first point that you made though about um, I forget how you said spectacle. it. Spectacle. Yeah, the spectacle of it. I do kind of agree with that, and I and I get that because I have seen some YouTubers that try to go out and do something uh, on its face, altruistic, like you said, you know, handing someone a thousand dollars. Oh, let me pay for your meal for you, but I've got a camera here recording me doing this act, and then I'm going to monetize the, this video. Well, no, because that's degrading to me, and it's making me feel like you're trying to profit off of. Uh, me being this grateful person who otherwise wouldn't be able to to, to get a meal, for instance. Um, no, Note to uh, all listeners, if you give me $1,000, you can record me taking it. I have no problem with that. <laughs> Uh, and, uh, and 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 so yeah, there is that that aspect of it uh, that, that I do agree with. If uh, um, you know, 
And, it does seem least. exploitative. It yeah, does yeah, seem exploitative. Yeah, I was looking for the word. If I think you, it, yeah, exploitative is the best If you go word. take pictures of yourself at the soup kitchen, you're doing that for self-aggrandizement. You know, yeah. it's like when a political candidate goes and does a charity thing, whether it's Habitat for Humanity or whether it's you know, whatever it is, if they're taking pictures of themselves to use in their campaign material, that's kind of gross. It's kind of right. gross. And and I think we all see through that, right? I, I think that seems opportunistic. Um, so, yes, I, I see what you're saying there. Um, but at the end of the day, if they get clean water. Yeah, yeah. and that's the that's the flip side. It's like, okay, so yeah, you did something really nice. Would you have done something really nice for a group of Kenyans if you could not videotape it and put it on YouTube though? And the answer is probably no, because people don't want to do things for other people if they can't profit off of it in some way. But if he couldn't profit off of it, then he couldn't do the next project. <clears throat> and, and that's kind of where I'm at is yeah. in his specific case, you know, um, and there's, Historically, there was a a a, uh, a charter uh, that Maimonides created of the seven different levels of giving charity, and the top one is anonymous donor, anonymous mm -hmm. recipient, and then all the variations down there. But in his specific case, if by monetizing his generosity, he can fund the next thing, whether yeah. that's that's giving super balls to every kitten on the planet or whether it's doing something truly that's going to have human impact. If that's thing, is that bad then? Is that, is that, you know, Mother uh, yeah. Teresa used to take pictures of lepers in order to fund donate, you know, to, to solicit donations. When, when you saw the photograph of the starving kid, you were more prone to give money to Mother Teresa. Yeah. Is it exploitative? Possibly. Yeah. But... <laughs> But, but sometimes, yeah, your get, charity isn't you know, going to get any donations if you don't do, correct. do the exploitative thing. Yeah, I get it. Uh, it still doesn't necessarily sit right with me. I mean, it, it makes me think of, I don't know if you remember this, back in the early to mid-2000s, there was a video seri series called Bum Fights, where yes. a guy went around with a video camera, and he would find beggars, hobos, people who were uh, down on their luck, and he would give them money to fight each other. And these were legitimate fights. And you want to talk about super exploitative. That's what this kind of rings of. You know, here, here are people who, yeah, legitimately need uh, food, money, water, whatever they need. Yeah, I'll give you a hundred bucks if you let me have this guy punch you in the face. <laughs> well, no, that's not worth the money. Uh, and you're exploiting me. But at the same time, I don't have any, any other way to make a hundred bucks right now. Okay, I guess I'll let you do it. And it goes right to the squid game concept, you know, that's how they, they start with, yeah. I'll give you the money for getting slapped in the face. Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, it, it, but, and you can take a macro view. Is it any worse than having a heavyweight fighter being offered 10 million for taking a beating that would give somebody else um, concussions and, and subdural hematomas, you know I mean? Yeah. Yeah. But the difference in those to what Mr. Beast did in this regard and with the, the corneal implants is that at the end of the outcome, <laughs> there are no lost teeth and broken noses in the Kenyan village. There's just yeah. clean water. You know what right, I'm saying? Right. Yeah. yeah. And and not having seen this video of what he did, I, I don't know if he did any exploitative things for the people that he provided the water to. In other words, was he going around and, and they were all, you know, holding their hands and going, oh, thank you, Mr. Beast. Thank you for this clean water. Or, or what did he, you know, actually legitimately just give it to them and didn't ask anything in return from them like praise or you know be on my video and tell me how great i am or anything like that 
It's funny. I haven't watched the video either. I've only seen the consequences of it. Okay. <laughs> I did not <laughs> the watch the consequences video. being clean water. <laughs> and the, and the, the discussion. The, 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 yeah, the, okay. yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. <clears throat> um, so. None of us have watched. Rafti, you said you didn't watch it either? No, yeah. no. <laughs> I'm, I'm scared to click on one of his videos because then YouTube <laughs> thinks that I want to watch all of them. And I'm like, then no. The algorithm has you. That's exactly. your AI. That's the YouTube AI. <laughs> Rafty, maybe uh, on that. Uh, I don't know if YouTube tries to force on any of you some some videos you don't like, but I started using the "Don't recommend this channel to me anymore" feature a lot. Mm. Like a lo over the last half year, I kept on say telling YouTube stop showing me that stuff. And so um, you're curating your own experience. I'm at least sending a signal that I don't want to watch that stuff. Haven't done it on the Mr. Beast thing yet, but I'm not clicking on that video either. I think I maybe at this point should tell YouTube to. I don't think I'm using YouTube the right way. It's the same thing with that I, that I did with Omegle. I'm probably, YouTube never recommends anything to me. I only go to YouTube when there's a video I want to watch and I look up that video and I watch it. I, I, oh, I don't know this recommended video thing. I'm talking about okay. Well, yeah. <laughs> I guess mo many listeners will know it, and just like tell YouTube to to l get their stuff off. I'm not watching vertical videos. Also, I'm only watching landscape stuff. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Like with the whole YouTube Shorts thing. See, I'm young, but I'm not that young. <laughs> You're not TikTok young. No, so not. Okay. So not. Okay. Absolutely. But speaking of YouTube, though, I, I, uh, and, and browsers on top of that, I think, Ben, you had recommended the Brave browser uh, a, a while back. I finally put Brave on my computer. And the reason I use Brave now is to watch YouTube. The reason I use Brave to watch YouTube is because my Chrome, all my ad bl blockers keep me from watching anything on YouTube now on Chrome. <laughs> and so I had to switch browsers. So I'm, I'm using Brave now for one explicit purpose, and that's to watch YouTube videos on <laughs> Well, also I'm glad it's helpful. Phone. Yeah. Oh, Do Brave, Brave does? Brave, yeah. Um, my wife, before we got YouTube Premium for the family, or up until she was bothered to actually join the family, because that took some time with her as well. She did not want to immediately. Don't know why. Um, she kept watching it in her, like, in her browser, Brave browser on her iPhone. Um, and Safari, there are ad blockers for Safari as well, but YouTube ads are always hard to block out. And I think at this point, YouTube actually starts telling people they can't watch YouTube if they block ads, but mm -hmm. they're putting it in the stream. And so the browser needs to do some extra stuff yep. to get rid of it. So, so I'm sorry, YouTube family? There's a You have a YouTube family? Yeah, premium. No, we are not paying for each account separately. We're paying 25 euros per month for YouTube to not have 25 ads. per month? Yeah, for the family. To, but, but that gives you an ad-free YouTube. Ad-free YouTube. Yeah. Ad-free okay. YouTube and theoretically YouTube music as well. Yeah. <laughs> ben is thinking. I'm not sure there's, what you're there's thinking. A whole, there's a whole culture out there that I am completely. <laughs> in. I thought I was being hip and trendy by knowing what Mr. Beast was. That was that was. Wow. Okay. Though right. I hate ads. I hate ads, and I I feel like I'm watching too much YouTube that um I don't want all the creators to not get any money. So I'm paying for YouTube Premium, and have been for a couple of times, and I use Patreon for the creators that I especially like to fund them directly and stuff like that. 
Yeah. That's cool. That's cool. And, and, and I think that's a better market model and it would allow voices like Jezebel and others who would otherwise have controversial content and make it hard for them to get advertisers. Patreon has changed that where it's yeah. a direct payment for the content you like. Yeah. Now it does run into the same issue though, where if one of your Patreon, if one of the artists you're patronizing takes a stance on a single topic that you don't like, they could overnight lose half their audience, which changes their editorial voice. Um, so, so there's always going to be that externality of if you want money from people, you're going to have to cater to somebody, right? Whether yeah. it's advertisers or, or viewers. But yeah, having multiple legs to stand on always is a good idea. So if it is a YouTuber, then they have the YouTube ad revenue. If they have their own ads inside the video, they have that ad revenue, but it's different because the one they don't like have to go out specifically, yeah. exactly, then a sponsorship directly. And then with the subscribers via Patreon, yeah, no, three legs is, is the first stool you can actually sit on. So if you get a fourth All one. All we got is one leg. Buy us a coffee at buymeacoffee.com slash securitized. That's securitized with a Z-E-D. Um, yeah, our three listeners, we can piss them off because we'll just find three more. Uh, <laughs> Can we though? Can do you <laughs> No, no, no. We're scraping the bottom of the barrel as it is. Um, all right. Is it the I bottom think, of the barrel or is it the cream of the crop? It's the, yes, it's the, the elite. Elite. We we have the <laughs> we have the royalty of listeners. Um, all right. I, we're going late. I'm sorry about that. Uh, but thank you both. Uh, any any last minute <clears throat> any last minute subjects you want to throw in there? Anything you want to mention? Just because I edited first, I just quickly wanted to wrap this up. So JetGPT got this announcement last week. And just so that we have it in here, when I've mentioned it first as a wrap up, um, you can now create GPTs. Um, we actually had a chat bot on our Discord, which used at least some integration with some chat GPT model or something. Um, but now we can do it ourselves. And um, I, I don't think that they are listening. We're ditching the one we paid for earlier and now switching over to the one from OpenAI directly. I'm feeling like they will kill a couple. And they, the, the one that we currently have, they're in Y Combinator startup. I feel like OpenAI is, is killing a lot of startups with this move that they are offering to have those GPTs applications um, on their GPT-4 model um, with added functionality. And you can have something, they, they pitch it as, um, create uh, the tech advisor, the la uh, laundry buddy, or the negotiator, or something like that. So, so personality, so, so I gotta which ask. is an expert in one in one particular so, thing. So, what does GPT do for you? It answers like customer questions. Instead of an <laughs> FAQ, you have a live agent that's a bot. We already have an FAQ, but people are lazy and they don't want to search. Right, right, so they right. want to ask. And so <laughs> um, we it's like we have an FAQ. And basically what the, the chatbot does is tell the FAQ answer to the person, but in a chat. In a window. format that the person thinks that they're dealing with. And we pay for a that. Human being or whatever. Exactly. And we pay for that monthly because people don't like can, going can on our wiki page. Can we get one of these AIs to just make our show each week with that? That way we don't have to sit and record. Would, would that be a thing? <laughs> Could we do I guess, that? I guess the audio is already there. 
so somebody could train our uh, like the audio on our based voices. on our voices, right? Exactly. It, yeah, the listeners would not even know, <laughs> and they could mimic our personalities because they have a larger, a large enough sample at this point, right? <laughs> exactly. The real question is whether this show that you're listening to right now is already generated by AI and you're just now finding out. <laughs> is it live or is it Memorex? Um, all right, Matt, anything you wanted to add? Um, no. I, oh, I, I did want to throw out one quick thing. This week I did have a security incident at a customer of mine. I, I discussed it with um, uh, you, Ben, a little bit, um, where we found out that an employee of, a, of the customer had implanted an RFID chip in their hand. Or claimed to. Uh, allegedly, yeah. <laughs> and was using it to swipe in and out of uh, 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 doors to uh, uh, in, in lieu of using his plastic um, uh, identity badge. Now, Matt, should we all be afraid as employers and security practitioners that people will be able to unlock all of our doors with their embodied RFID chips? Is is this a thing that's worth worrying about? I think that you should be more worried that you hired such a dumbass to be an employee that they would stick a goddamn chip in their hand just so that they could get their minimum wage job door open five seconds quicker. <laughs> yeah, the, the neat thing about RFID is that it's almost entirely passive. It just yeah. echoes when you ping it, and it echoes with the code that you assign it. So when you assign the badge number to the person, and uh, assuming the badge number is the code, um, the minute you revoke the badge from your centralized system, the RFID chip isn't going to, it doesn't, it's not like a skeleton key. It's not going to automatically open right. the door. Once you deactivate that code, it doesn't matter. Now, my dog has an RFID chip in her. Yeah, so 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 did mine as well. <laughs> and but, that's but an she's a dog. Code. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I don't think people need to be walking around with these things, but. Uh, uh, yeah. Um, so yeah, we, we quelled the, uh, the security concerns of the, of the customer. Um, and, and like I said, this is all alleged anyway, that apparently the person was bragging that they, that the chip was $50 and to have it implanted was another $50. So again, did he go I mean, to Dr. Nick Riviera from the Simpsons? <laughs> Hi everybody. Very possibly. So this was in a, uh, a sketchy town. <laughs> I'm not sure that he could trust that he even had uh, uh, anything implanted in his hand to begin with. Ladies and gentlemen, uh, if you pay double digits for invasive surgery, you're doing it wrong. Okay. That's just the, the sensuous sounds of security of InfoSec does not um, uh, recommend this in any way, shape or form. We don't endorse that behavior. Unless we can profit off of it ourselves. Ooh, and can we get our own, like, badger chips? There you yeah. go. We get some chips. We get some injectors, because all you need is a big syringe. <laughs> Injected oh, under the skin. <laughs> oh. Yeah, no. I know. Put like, some magnets under your fingertips while we're at it as well. Exactly, exactly. And this is the only thing I have heard of, that biohackers put magnets yeah. into, like, under the skin so they can feel electromagnetic, like, yeah, yeah. differences. But yeah, it seems like that would cause what a lot more problems. Don't we have solved. a tool for that? I mean, come on. <laughs> don't we have gloves for that? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, just... if you want haptic feedback that bad, there's got to be an easier way to go about it, right? Yeah. But it's not with you all the time. And I mean, like, Use the super next time. Glue. At least it'll wear off eventually. The next time you got, you're on a plane, you, you would not have a lovely conversation with the people. <laughs> 
<laughs> trying to detect the the metals in your body you know i, I oh. all right <laughs> uh my last big announcement want to practice the glorious set uh, the CERT preparation app for practice questions has just added a new certification to our lineup. ISACA's CISA. So if you're studying for CISA, as well as all the other CERTs we offer, go check out wannapractice.com or in the Play Store if you're using Android. Yeah, Don't put magnets in your fingers. Just don't do that. <laughs> now, this is, now, you already had CISM, right? Correct. Correct. So now you got CISA in, in addition to CISM. And I have no idea what the differences is between the two of them because um, I'm, no, I'm CISA not is more the practitioner and okay. CISM is more the managerial. Um, okay. Okay. It's it's like the difference between SSCP and CISSP. Okay. Cool. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. Um good. All right. And, until next time, I'm Ben Maliso. I'm Matt Snotty. And I'm Rafael Fitler. Join us again next week for another episode of the sensuous sounds of InfoSec. Hey there, listener. Matt here. If you like listening to Ben, Robin, Rofty, Joey, or myself, please consider supporting us at buymeacoffee.com slash securitized. Interested in training for CISSP, CCSP, CISM, SSCP, CCSK, Boy, that's a lot of letters. Or other InfoSec certifications. Go to Ben's website for all his training programs at wannabeacissp.com. And that's spelled W-A-N-N-A-B-E-A-C-I-S-S-P.com. We are on Discord. Engage with us by searching for the channel wannabeacissp. Feedback or questions on what we discuss, send a good old fashioned email to Ben at benmaliso.com. You may hear a shout out or your feedback on a future show. We're all working professionals in the InfoSec industry, so feel free to link up with us on LinkedIn. Support Rofty's company and test drive their free firewall software called Portmaster, downloadable at their website, safing.io, spelled S A F. I-N-G dot I-O. Support Joey's company, Blue Edge Networks, at blueedgenetworks.com and listen to Joey's podcast called Topic of Choice at topicofchoice.com. Join us on Reddit at slash r slash s-s-o-i underscore fans. All opinions expressed in this podcast are personal and for entertainment purposes only. They do not necessarily reflect the opinions of our companies, affiliates, employers, guests, or even each other. No advice given here should be followed without consulting with a professional for any specific InfoSec situation you may experience.